Two Fingers Pointed to the Moon Chapter 5 I was alone in the corridors. The white walls were pulsing with a soft blue light and I still heard that persistent drone lulling me into a semi-consciousness. I sensed the presence of the assistant not far behind me. I had to keep walking. Not too quickly, but not too slowly either. The rest of the residents would be sitting down to breakfast right now. I would find him there, in the dining hall. Say his name. Ethan. I would find Ethan there, sitting in silence, waiting for me to make eye contact. I would make a sign. I would make a sign. We would meet somewhere after breakfast before work duty began and plan our escape. He wanted that too, somehow. Can we go now? I knew that. He squeezed my hand tightly. Almost tightly enough to We hadn't come here to forget each other, had we? Why would we want to forget something so momentous, so beautiful? There's nothing left. Did the pain really scare us that much? No more pain. No more pain. We can go now. We can go. No, we would get out of this place and take our broken memories with us, rebuilding them, laying new foundations, even if it meant resurrecting our past demons. I reached the tall white wooden doors, half open, letting in the soft glow of dawn that suffused into the muted blue light around me. He was in there, somewhere. I just had to find him. If only I could picture his face. I'd seen it this morning, just minutes ago, seen it for what it was, the face of my lover. But now it was just another shadow behind a screen, a ghost in the machine. Allow your thoughts to settle. Bring your attention. Bring your attention. I turned to my left. At the next table sat Ulu. We hadn't spoken in several days. It seemed as if he had been consciously avoiding me during work duty. Every day he entered late and flustered and set to chopping the onions without acknowledging anyone. But at breakfast that day he seemed relaxed closer to his usual self. Before I turned back to my food, I noticed him look up. Not at me, but at the person sitting opposite. Their eyes met. I saw it. I saw it happen. Only briefly, but it happened. Eyes met and large lips creased into a semi-smile, just for a second. No one had noticed this tiny moment of intimacy, but my wayward awareness had once again drawn the attention of Ulduk, whose hand resettled on my shoulder, his fleshy fingers threatening my tender muscles. He gestured with his gaze towards my bowl of porridge. This is the focus of your awareness, his eyes silently admonished.
I might have let the incident recede in my mind like all the other fragments, had I not seen them again at the sinks, washing their bowls. Standing just to their left, I saw their hands brushing each other under the warm water. Fingers curled and caressed, again only for a moment, only for as long as was possible without drawing attention. But they had my attention. Then they turned and went separate ways, leaving me standing at the sink. It was still over an hour to kitchen duty and I assumed Ulu would go back to his dormitory to rest. But in fact, he started walking in the opposite direction, towards the east wing. Intrigued, I decided to follow him. He walked quickly through the maze of white corridors, quicker than was prudent, and I struggled to keep up with him, fearing to attract even more unwanted attention. I couldn't believe my eyes when, from around the final corner, I saw him slip out of the back door and into the garden. Walking outside the house was expressly forbidden at this hour, and could leave you isolated in your dormitory for days. I checked around me to see if we were being followed, but it seemed as if I was completely alone. Not wanting to lose sight of him, I suppressed my nerves and followed him outside. By the time I laid eyes on him, he was already reaching the crest of the hill ahead of me, and I had to run to catch up in case he decided to continue on into the forest. As I reached the top of the hill, I caught sight of another figure coming from the southwest, and I quickly flattened myself against the ground to avoid being seen. It was him, the same large-lipped guy who had shared that secret smile with Ulu, who had slithered his hand between his fingers while washing his bowl in the hot water. Lying down in the long grass, I saw them run towards each other, exchange another complicit smile, and then, without lingering, scurry off down the opposite side of the hill and into the arboretum. Any feeling of fear or hesitation I had been harbouring earlier had vanished. I knew that I had to follow them, whatever the cost. At last I reached the clearing. I made sure to keep myself hidden at the edge of the tree line as the two figures scrambled their way towards the steep green bank on the far side. Somehow I knew they would come here, to the bunker, to the hideout I had discovered just a few days earlier. Or was it weeks? It was always so hard to tell, but in this moment for the first time in what felt like a lifetime, I was experiencing some kind of clarity. The emotion in my chest had blasted through the dull, translucent screen and I was able to see the world through the lens of the past, present and future all at once. 
I was like a comic book character who'd been liberated from their two-dimensional plane, seeing depth for the first time. This wasn't just a bunker in front of me. It was a bunker I had visited before. It glowed with the presence of the past, with the fear and anticipation of going inside, with the surprise and joy and sadness of finding those scraps of musical score, themselves a reconstruction of the past. The past I had shared with Ethan, a past he had brought me here to forget. And it was true, it had almost disappeared, save for these few moments of realization that bobbed to the surface of awareness, the flotsam from the wreckage of our relationship. But he was still hanging on to the debris, how had he managed it? How had he managed to transcribe all those notes? Somehow the music, the emotional container, had stayed with him. It's just that he'd emptied it of me and filled it with someone else. I emerged from the trees as I saw them go inside, my heart pounding in my chest. Advancing my way slowly forwards, I tried to calm myself by slowing my breathing. It was of no use. My head was aching and my vision was beginning to blur. Sounds and images were spinning through my thoughts and colliding into the real world. I tripped over my feet and fell onto the damp grass. A dirty buzzing sound ground over my awareness. I wanted to give in to it, but I also wanted to break through it. With an enormous effort, I heaved myself to my feet and stumbled onwards towards the side of the grassy slope, where I knew I would find the entrance. I fell over several more times before I made it there. It was as if the tension in my mind had traveled all through my body, diffusing into my muscles and joints. But at last, there I was, at the door, panting, wheezing, fighting the urge to throw up. Why had I forced myself to this place? It was obvious what I was going to hear. The tapping of keys that released hammers, that struck strings, that shook the air molecules into motion, which then travelled across the room and seeped out from between the cracks and entered my ears, stroking those tiny little hairs that laced my cochlea and sending millions of electrical impulses for my brain to decode into sadness and hurt and loss and anger. I could picture them pressed up against each other at the piano, laughing merrily as they played our song. No, not our song, my song, and I'd written it for us, and only us. It encapsulated us, those two parts slightly offbeat from each other, yet all the while interlacing into a harmonious whole. That was a poetry that he had never really appreciated, or at least he'd never bothered to say so. And to make it worse, they weren't even playing it well. They were fudging through it carelessly, meaninglessly. How could he treat it with such disrespect? It was sickening to listen to. I wanted to get up and leave, but somehow I couldn't pull myself away. Gradually, the music began to unwind itself as my mind filled up with broken memories. I curled up into a ball outside the door and let the shards of the past tear up my consciousness into tiny pieces. Crying and gasping for air, I surrendered to chaos, hoping to find stillness on the other side. I'm sitting by the angel family. Water is spurting from its mouth and Ethan is staring up at his wide eyes. He takes a twig from his bottle and imitates the angel.
walking next to me, his face is open and shining. We share in the delight of the morning warmth, not yet baked into the We're running. Our clothes are soaked and our shoes are full of water. Our female companions are just hot for our feet and There is a sweet relief. We're all wearing a compulsory yoga. As we climb a grassy slope, Ethan tugs hard at my drenched sweater, causing me to lose my footing on the And that laughs like a child. And I manage to get hold of his ankle just in time. And then he's next to me, splayed out on the grass, laughing. Up ahead, we see some shelter in the form of an abandoned wartime pillbox sitting up on the crest of the hill. We get up and move towards it. I get there first and immediately start clambering up into it. Once we're both inside, we sit and catch our breath. We're so wet that shelter seems almost pointless though there is some respite from the continual lashings of wind. I look into Ethan's eyes. Are they really green, as he always claims, or just subtle mixtures of yellows and blues? I lean in to inspect closer, but he reaches out... It would just be for six months. A year, max. My attempts to reassure him only serve to increase the distance between us. I feel a familiar surge of frustration rising up. I try a more aggressive tack. Remember that time in the park? Remember the that time in India when you attacked the... When I defended Amy, you mean? Yeah. And look what happened. You practically started a lynch mob. That wasn't what was meant to happen. Well, maybe that's but what you know how things can flare up over being there. Real about it, if you yeah? just stopped to think. But you couldn't. The anger took over. How many more incidents like that do you want to live through before you try something different? I can't just delete the parts of myself you don't like, you know. It's not as simple as that. Maybe we just need to accept that some things are here to stay. Make peace with them. Yeah, I agree. But acting out violent scenes like this isn't exactly making peace, is it? I say, then regret. I'm only pushing him further away. I need to persuade him gently, not forcefully. A silence opens up between us. I try again. There's so much that's great about us. So much that fits. Anyway, Look, I really want to make this work, but I feel we need to do hands. some healing first. India was too intense. It's too overwhelming. We need somewhere quiet and peaceful where we can really go deep inside. This could be the place. He looks up at me wearily. I don't know, man. This retreat the girls told us about sounds kind of extreme. When we met, you didn't even know what meditation was. Now you want us to pack up and become monks. We could at least try it. He nods, but our bodies begin naturally detaching from each other. The loose touch of his hand starts to feel awkward rather than comforting. His gaze more penetrating than welcoming. He looks away as he replies. You know how I feel about these kind of communities after what I grew up in. Buddhist, Christian, Hindu, whatever. They're trying to program the way you think. I pause, measuring the weight of my next words. Maybe you don't want to let go. Maybe you like all this pain and suffering. Maybe that's how you define yourself. What are you talking about? Well, if you let go, you wouldn't be able to play the victim anymore, would you? We're sitting apart from each other now. I feel completely separate from him, 
as if I barely even know him. I look over at his soft, pale hands and feel the desire to reach out and touch them, to bridge the distance between us. But I can't. We sit without speaking for several moments, listening to the rain hammering down around us. After a while, I decide to lay my cards on the table. I'm going, Ethan. Amy told me they'll be headed up there in two weeks and I'm going to join them. So you can either come with us or stay here. His blue, yellow, green eyes meet mine again. He says, Here there's only pain. My gaze drops to the ground. It hurts me when he says that. Outside the light is dying and the rain is only falling harder. struck strings that shook the air molecules into motion, which then travelled across the room and seeped out from between the cracks and entered my ears, stroking those tiny little hairs that laced my cochlea and sending millions of electrical impulses for my brain to decode into sadness and hurt and loss sitting at the piano, anger. Sitting at the piano. Sitting at the piano. Sitting at the piano. Sitting at the piano. 